Welcome to TCN Talks. The goal of our podcast is to provide concise and relevant information for busy hospice and palliative care leaders and staff. We understand your busy schedules and believe that brevity signals respect. And now, here's our host, Chris Como. Welcome to TCN Talks. Hello to everyone, and I'm excited today. We have Carol Fisher. She's a president of the National Partnership for Healthcare and Hospice Innovation, um, senior advisor with Hellsperian, an executive coach, a speaker, and a podcaster. Welcome, Carol. Thank you, Chris. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm excited. Thank you. I'm excited as well. And we also have with us Bill Keen. Bill's the vice president and director of strategy at Emergence. Welcome, Bill. Great. Thanks for having me. So, Carol, why don't you go first? What does our audience need to know about you? This is not your first time on our podcast, but it's always a good opportunity to connect with the audience. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, uh, again, I'm thrilled to be here. And thanks for having me back on and including Bill and, and the work we're doing with emergence. Um, it's important work. I guess what I'd like everyone to know is I'm, I'm committed to social impact. And um, whether it's end-of-life care, whether it's uh, domestic violence, which I have um, just accidentally gotten involved with through the podcast, The Girlfriends, um, my commitment, um, I was born and raised as a social worker. And so my commitment to making the world a better place is always first and foremost in everything I do. Well, when you know, I got so much admiration and respect for you, Carol, but you know, something just hit me because, you know, I'm all up in this writing this book right now. Um, the, living a cause and purpose and putting a focus. Uh, years ago, Stephen Covey would say that, you know, someone who's focused in their area of influence, it's like dropping that pebble in the pond and your influence impacts the world. Um, I've known you for so long now. I didn't have any gray hair when we first knew each other. Mm -hmm. And I just see the more focused you become, the more impactful you are in the world. And I just want to give you a shout out on that. Oh, thank you, Chris. That means the world to me. Thank you. Well, Bill, so it's your, this is your first time on the podcast. What, so what's the audience need to know about you, but also would love for you to weave in who is Emergence? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Bill Keen. I'm, as Chris said, I'm the Vice President and Director of Strategy at Emergence Creative. Uh, so Emergence is a global creative agency. We specifically work on social impact. Uh, so we work across a number of domains, uh, sustainability, urban innovation, civil rights, social justice, uh, but in particular, public health. Uh, and over the last couple of years, uh, I've had the opportunity to work both with Carol and the NPHI team, uh, and then also with Hospice of the Piedmont, uh, which is an NPHI member based in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, and so we've really developed a, a deep understanding of the sort of declining health, end of life, serious illness uh, aspect of the healthcare system. So it's been an interesting kind of journey for us uh, alongside our other public health work uh, in, in other parts of the healthcare system to really get to know this space and this industry and, and really the, the wonderful people who make it up. So um, yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, for having now me. I kind of hear all that background, Bill. I think I kind of knew that, but listening and now seeing this amazing report, which we're going to get to in just a second. In fact, I think Carol and I talked about it. And then those of you who are in video, you can see I just kind of put it up on the screen. Um, it wasn't actually published yet, but now I see how just that whole gestalt of experience of how you brought that into bear in this study. So just with one of you, just real quickly, what is a brief study, a brief summary of this study? You know, why was it done? And then we'll get into more specific questions. Yeah, well, let me let me take the lead on that. You know, we wanted to create something of value for our membership. You know, we have a hundred members, uh, both large and small, throughout the country, all providing end of life care, and, and we wanted to help them showcase their value proposition. So, hence why we um, took a dive into this work. 
our members are seen as the trusted um, authorities in their local communities and then collectively, regionally and nationally, we're all recognized as a trusted voice in advanced illness, hospice and palliative medicine. So this report really brings together extensive data, uh, new public opinion research, real life stories that I know Bill can speak to um, that really explores perspectives on uh, how Americans feel about healthcare, And uh, it's important. Um, you know, we know that um, as we're moving into this, about 18% of the population have um, only feel trust towards the U.S. healthcare system. So this became really important for us, um, especially post-COVID pandemic. So um, with that, I'll, I'll hand it to Bill, who just speaks so eloquently about the, uh, the work that we did. Yeah, thanks, Carol. I think, you know, from the, the outset of our work with NPHI, we were really just trying to understand the field and some of these kind of big systemic and structural issues that are happening in the hospice industry. You know, the policy dynamics, certainly, but then also what's going on day to day for members of NPHI in their local communities, you know, facing increased competition from uh, some of the bigger for-profit players in the space and just how that has evolved over the last couple of decades. And so I think that this blueprint was really intended to kind of reckon with some of those big structural kind of systemic issues. But then, as Carol said, to also really ground it in what is what does the public think and feel and kind of where are they coming from? What's leading them to make decisions about their own care and care for their families? And I think to try to bring all of that together into sort of a new narrative of how organizations like NPHI and its members can really talk about what they offer and, and the, kind of the key role they play in society around such a critical issue. Well, it just hit me, Bill and Carol, the importance of the time that you did this. Um, Carol knows about this. We've done this fascinating project with our TCM membership where we've done a 360-degree mm -hmm. external environmental scan and forward-looking scan and tried to bring it down to a concise of here's what's coming. And, of course, one of those biggest challenges is I've got 28 years now in this movement. Carol has as many. And so um, the greatest generation has been who we've cared for, and that is shifting now to the baby boom generation. So the fact that you've done this at the timing of right now um, and the data in here is just pretty incredible. Now, you titled it People Over Profits. Why on earth did you title it that? Yeah. So I, I think, you know, first I would just say, I think it's interesting that, you know, that title has kind of struck a lot of people as provocative and it's maybe ruffled some feathers. And, you know, if we take a step back and really think about that idea, you know, that in healthcare, people should come before profits, you know, do any of us really disagree with that? You know, is that, do we as a society actually think that profits should come before people? You know, I don't think anyone would make that argument. So I think to us, you know, that's really not a controversial statement, but you know, to go back to the point Carol made about public trust, you know, one of the central findings of our uh, large quantitative study that we did for this was that, you know, only 18% of the American public trusts the healthcare system to put their well-being ahead of profits. So I think that tells you both kind of the extent and kind of depth of that distrust, but also really the source of it, which is this perception that, you know, profit has kind of gotten in the way of providing really quality care, you know, that really honors and respects individual preferences. Um, so I think that was sort of the genesis of it from our perspective. Um, I do want to acknowledge, you know, it would be reductive to just say, you know, for profits are bad and nonprofits are good. And that's all there is to the story. That's that's really not what this is about. Um, but I do think we have to acknowledge that, you know, the, the pursuit of high profit margins has really radically changed the industry. Um, and as you see from some of this data, it's something that is on the public's mind. And so as we think about 
how to kind of message and, and tell that new story of, of what NPHI and its members offer, you know, I think we, we have to, we can't shy away from that. We have to kind of acknowledge that that's how people are feeling. And I think NPHI is well positioned to kind of offer a sort of counter narrative to that. Yeah. And I, I, you know, and thank you for mentioning the for-profits bill. Anyone that works at the bedside is just an amazing human being that I, you know, I think you both have heard me say, I have great respect and, and hold their, their work in high regard, but the profiteering aspects in end of life care right now is really off the charts. And um, this was a way to act on that. This was a way for us to say, look, you know, we were, we, we have a commitment. We were the first ones in the home doing this for the right reasons, doing this before reimbursement from Medicare even existed. And, um, you know, we, and I say we on behalf of our members, uh, we put people over profits every single time. So uh, it's, it's an important message and it really helps. Um, I think Bill and team have done a great job of helping us articulate who we are in a different way than just leading with we're here to, um, as a hospice provider. Yep, that's well said. Well, it's okay with you guys. I'd love to just read an excerpt real quick. The executive summary was pretty, I just felt poignant and on point. And by the way, Bill, you guys, um, I'm writing my first book. Carol wrote the foreword. So I'm very keen lately to people who craft words. Your team is very skilled in this area. So major kudos. And so it's titled, it says, Good Times, Bad Times. United States healthcare system is facing a reckoning. A set of interconnected social, demographic, medical, and economic forces are radically reshaping how healthcare works and doesn't work in our society. Despite America's reputation as a world leader in research, innovation, and treatment, health outcomes at the population level are getting worse, even as costs soar. The reason for this is not necessarily that people are getting sicker or that they're getting sick in new ways. Many of the factors that drive high costs and poor outcomes could be managed effectively and efficiently. Instead, our fractured healthcare system often stands in the way of coordinated, comprehensive, human-centered care. Resolving these tensions will require grappling with the experiences and attitudes of the American public, as well as the systemic factors that shape their perceptions. Based on that understanding, dramatic pause here, community-based, mission-driven organizations can offer a new narrative of what healthcare can and should be. So, what did you mean when you said community-based? Because it feels like this feels very intentionally chosen. Like I could feel the energy of your team and all of what they learned and the time they spent with all the amazing MPHI members and the research study you did. I could feel the energy in this statement. And so what does it mean when you say community-based, mission-driven organizations can offer a new narrative of what healthcare can be and should be? So how so? Yeah, that's it's a great question. And I think one of the things, you know, for us, as I mentioned at Emergence, we do a lot of public health work and we've worked on mental health and chronic disease and population health. But, you know, getting up to speed on hospice and sort of the history of it, and in particular, the philosophy um, behind it and the, the sort of model of care. I think one of the first things that we realized was a lot of the topics and sort of themes and aspects of that model of care that go back, you know, 50 years at this point. Those are now topics that are being discussed more widely in healthcare, and they're in some ways even being touted as sort of the future of healthcare. When you think about issues like social determinants of health, you know, multidisciplinary teams, 
uh, home-based care, you know, shared decision-making, a lot of these topics that, you know, hospice leaders know very well and have been emphasizing now, you know, from day one, now you're starting to see that come through in other parts of the healthcare system. And I think part of what we were proposing with this blueprint with uh, the People Over Profits study was to really say that NPHI and its members and organizations like that should really be viewed as trusted leaders and as a sort of authority on some of these issues. Um, and so there's a real opportunity for NPHI to kind of stand up and own that leader, leadership position. You know, one of the things that I'll just mention anecdotally from uh, some of the qualitative research we did, we did some interviews with caregivers and heard their very personal stories. And part of that exercise was we asked them, you know, imagine your ideal type of healthcare. Like, what would you really want for your loved one in a perfect world? And what they described almost, you know, to a, to the individual was what, exactly what these community-based mission-driven organizations have been doing all along. They just don't know what it is. They don't know that that's available. They don't have the word for it. But what they describe is exactly what, you know, Carol and others have been doing now for 50 years. And I will say, actually, one participant literally said it should put people over profits. You know, that came directly from something that someone said uh, in one of those small group discussions. So, I think that idea is resonant. It's just, you know, that story hasn't come through in a really cohesive way. Yeah, boy, that there's so much good there to unpack. I was something that occurred to me is probably not the perfect analogy. But, you know, if I threw up a couple of rooms in my house and I had a couple of things that would beep and little line and go, that's a hospital. Well, people go, that's crazy. <laughs> we know that's not a hospital. But yet, because we've been so passionate and so heart driven as hospice people, we have not been the best to articulate this amazing specialization, skills, um, systems, and processes to create this amazing model of care. And Carol, you've been one to kind of pull me aside to say, we've got to get better at telling that story. So thanks for your part in what you're doing with that. Um, and one of the things that you said in here was from a customer perspective, understanding our customer, you had this whole section identified the top concerns about aging, which I felt, man, that's solid gold. If we think about the customer, what does the customer value? Um, I think sometimes we get caught up in like, oh, our cap scores and and like all the, the data and you forget that survey is supposed to be telling us what the customer values. And so can you talk about that section? Can you share what came out of that? Thank you to our TCN Talks sponsor, Delta Care Rx. Delta Care Rx is also the title sponsor for our May and November 2023 Leadership Immersion Courses. Delta Care Rx is primarily known as a national hospice, PBM, and prescription mail order company. Delta Care Rx is a premier vendor of TCN and provides not only pharmaceutical care, but also niche software innovations that save their customers time, stress, and money. Thank you, Delta Care Rx, for all the great work you do in end of life and serious illness care. We learned a lot in that section, didn't we, Bill? I mean, we, you know, we heard yeah. loud and clear from people, individuals expressing their concerns about a loss of independence, about a loss of quality of life, about their declining health. Financial worries really came through loud and clear. Will I have enough money to care for myself as I age? Social isolation and loneliness was really a key concern. I think what's like 50% of adults over 65 reported feeling lonely. Um, and, you know, you and I know, Chris, and now Bill knows as he's uh, journeyed into healthcare, um, that when you feel isolated, it relates to an increased risk of functional, functional decline. 
And we see that a lot with dementia. So we started learning all this, that folks are really concerned about um, wanting to stay at home, age in place, but they don't want to be a burden and they don't want to lose their independence. And they have concerns about what if my spouse dies before I do? What if I become a burden to our families? Um, you know, what if I'm not able to live alone? So we just really, it, it just came through loud and clear that um, I think it was like 76% of people believe that uh, growing old um, is a problem and that it's becoming a burden on the healthcare system. And, you know, to your point earlier, we're in the baby boomers now are aging, you know, I'm one of them. So I, you know, I, I see the, the struggle is real for folks. And I think what's important uh, that Bill and team helped us do at Emergence is really position our communication and our messaging to address these issues and to speak eloquently to them um, in a very unique individualized approach. Well, you had another section, and this was encouraging. We There's been so many challenges and systemic impacts on our society from COVID, but one of the, if you could say it's a positive, it certainly has accelerated the fact that you can bring healthcare into the home. And so you guys had a whole section dedicated to the home, and, and I love the way you titled it, Bring It It All Back Home. Can Can you share what that was about? Yeah, well, first, I can never resist a Bob Dylan uh, reference in my in my writing there. But um, yeah, I think, as you said, you know, uh, that is something that we've seen particularly coming out of COVID. But really, it was already kind of in progress before that was the sort of shift in both patient preference and then also potentially from the system's perspective to care in the home as a, a potential you know growth opportunity for healthcare. Um, and so I think at the same time, we know one of the most common misconceptions people have about hospice is that it is a place that you go rather than a kind of model of care that is typically provided in the home. So I think, you know, that's something I know that Carol and others have spent, you know, many, many years trying to kind of overcome that misperception. But I think we wanted to, again, emphasize that because it is one of the unique aspects of of what hospice offers uh, is the sort of home component of it. But then, as you said, you know, we're seeing this very in, this increased interest in home based care, both from the private sector in terms of big investment into new technology that can enable more home based care, uh, home monitoring, uh, telehealth, things like that. Um, and so as we see this growth, you know, as you said, there's a lot of reason for optimism and excitement around that. There's a real potential here to kind of marry what the system can gain in terms of efficiencies uh, that are available through home based care, but also patient preference. We know people from a convenience perspective, a comfort perspective, of course they would rather receive care at home. So I think that's a really exciting opportunity. I think the question is, how are we building those systems and models of care in the right way so that you know we're incentivizing the right things and sort of promoting the right approach to it? And again, I think it comes back to this idea that you know hospice providers and, and NPHI and its members, you know, they've been doing this longer than anyone. They know it in and out, you know, better than these other aspects of the healthcare system and and certainly better than I think, you know, some of the kind of technology startups and things like that that are becoming interested in the space. So I think, you know, it all comes down to we need all of those stakeholders to kind of participate in this. But again, I think there's an opportunity for NPHI and its members to really stake their claim as a sort of leader and as a sort of thought leader and, and innovator on this topic um, to ensure that as we kind of evolve the healthcare system towards 
more home-based care, that we're doing it, you know, in a respectful and a dignified way uh, that really values patient preference and, and ensures quality. That's really good. Um, I'm actually, I'm going to read this one because you quoted uh, Dr. Gwandi from his book, Being Mortal. It said, home is the one place where your own priorities hold sway. At home, you decide how you spend your time, how you share your space, and how you manage your possessions. Away from home, you don't. And Carol, I, you said something to me at the end of an MPHI meeting, and I forgot exactly what it was, but it was around social determinants health. But you said it in such a way that struck me that sometimes we've been so close to this model of care. It's what we do that we don't realize there's certain aspects that are incredibly profound. You think about in sports, right? If you're playing at home versus away, there's a whole different strategy in that. Mm-hmm. When we're going into people's homes and the fact that we've gotten comfortable and really good at that, like how you walk humbly in someone else's home, but yet how you meet them where they are and you walk alongside them in this disease trajectory, there's a whole skill set there. And I, we just, we just do it. And we didn't, we, I think we kind of lost sight of that's fairly unique. If you're in a hospital, people are coming on your turf. And so the fact that we have that competency and, and I think you're the beauty of your report and getting COVID has accelerated the fact that you can actually do this. We could push a lot of healthcare into the home. There's even, um, there was a CMMI grant to actually approve ICU in the home. And so that is the future. And we know that baby boomers will want to go there as well. Any additional thoughts that uh, before I go to kind of a question I had for you guys to wrap us up? Yeah, I, I just think that it's always important. And I know that our MPHI members understand this. They're proficient in this. They're effective in this. We are guests in a person's home. Mm. And it's just always good to keep that top of mind. And I think we see a lot of healthcare moving into the home without having the history and the expertise that hospice and palliative care providers that our members have. And so I think that's why we excel in people's homes, that white people um, allow us in and feel confident with us and feel trusted because we recognize that we're a guest. We're not intrusive in the care that we provide. And there's an opportunity to really communicate that in a way using um, people over profits and, and taking some of that information out of the document to really communicate that to people um, that need our care. That's great. Well, so you've got the ear of a lot of hospice and palliative care leaders. You did this amazing project and study. What's your advice to them? Oh my gosh. Well, I think that um, remembering that it's always important to lead with what problem we're trying to, uh, a problem that we want to help someone else solve. And so leading with that, um, taking the time to speak with the collective voice. You know, we have several different audiences, certainly the patient and the family member, but another audience is who makes that referral. Another audience is the payer. Um, certainly the people on the Hill. So really making sure that we tailor our message to uh, raise awareness, to continue to show that we're the expert in delivering home-based care for patients and families. Um, We know how to navigate declining health, advanced illness, and bereavement. Uh, And I think this blueprint ultimately provides organizations with these tools. You know, I'm sorry, Bill, were you going to say something? No, no, I, I would just echo what Carol said. And I think, you know, it, it maybe sounds a little cliche, but at the end of the day, like the care that you provide, your staff, you know, the workforce, that is what where this all comes from. You know, it's not about marketing and, and some of these other things. It's really about the care at the end of the day. That's what sets 
these organizations apart. So continuing to do what you're already doing is, I think, at the foundation of it. Uh, but to Carol's point, you know, finding a way to tell that sort of unified story to emphasize some of the unique benefits of what these organizations provide, I think that's what we're trying to achieve with some of the work that we've been doing with NPHI. Which is why it's so important, but so flipping hard. And so I always find it fascinating. Carol knows me that she knows I'm a geek about business. And I grew up in the Fortune 50 world and it just used to fascinate me. How do you take a roll of steel and a car rolls out on the back end and how does people and processes and all that stuff. And lo and behold, I end up in hospice and just my love and affection for the people by the bedside. It is magic. It is amazing what they do and they are truly amazing people. But I also get fascinated by the systems and processes by which they do what they do. And then in the business parts of that. And so you, I always felt this having lived in the other business world Hospice is kind of like Broadway. They say if you make it on Broadway, you make it anywhere. Hospice is is super complicated because Carol is alluding to there's so many different stakeholders. And the challenge of marketing is, is how do you tailor a message to the person who needs to hear the message? Well, we have so many different stakeholders. So what works for the customer, patient, family may not work for the person on the hill, may not work for the facility partner, may not work for the hospital partner. And that's what makes general business principles, marketing, things like that, so much more complicated in our space. And so kudos to you guys, because that's also part, I think, the brilliance of this work is this messaging that gives you great tools in any of those spaces, actually. So again, major kudos. So final thoughts from either or both of you? Well, I want people to know that they can go to our website, uh, uh, hospiceinnovations.org, and and you can find the blueprint there and, and certainly read it and become familiar. I also want people to know you don't need to be well-versed in the subject. You don't need to be the marketer or the business development person. Um, this is not just for policy folks. This is uh, really a, a comprehensive toolkit that can be used for all. So I, I think... Um, Gosh, I want everyone to see it and appreciate it and uh, value the the wealth of information inside the document. All I would say is just I want to extend a big thank you to Carol and the NPHI team for kind of bringing us on and sort of giving us this opportunity. Um, but in particular, to really just thank all of the NPHI members. I've gotten to know so many of them over the last uh, year or so that we've been doing this work. And, you know, as you said, Chris, so many of them, there's just such a passion, such an authenticity and sincerity that comes through. Um, it's easy to kind of get lost in the systems and the structures and, and the processes, but, you know, that these people are in the communities every day, you know, doing that work. Um, I just have such respect for it. And so it's really just been an honor to be able to work on this. So uh, thank you to, to Carol and, and the entire NPHI community. Yeah. And thanks to you and your team, Bill. I, there's so many people that um, the curiosity of your team was so impressive to me. I mean, I just, I love that. And Carol and I, have, we've gotten our master's in leadership together and we were taught this term called the learning mode, which is how to spend life in just a general curiosity. And your team modeled that beautifully, which is why I think the product was so good. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with two quotes, and I ran this by both Bill and Carol, and it both felt apropos, so I couldn't pick one. One is from a mutual friend of Carol and I, one of the students in the classes that she and I teach. is from Angie Barker. She probably doesn't even know I'm using her quote, but I love it. She said this out loud, your windshield is bigger than your rearview mirror. Which one do you spend more time looking through? Love that. And this one from DHOC, change is not about understanding new things or having new ideas. It's about seeing old things with new eyes from different perspectives. Thanks for listening to TSAN Talks.